are thankful for Marissa McGarrell reading our scripture this morning. She did such a wonderful job on this Youth Sunday. As you noticed, youth uh, ushering and helping greet as you came in today, taking part in the services. As we get ready for the message this morning, would you join me now in a word of prayer? Oh, gracious God, give us understanding that goes beyond the hearing of the ear, but the listening of the Spirit, so that in what we take in, it will find its way out. In Jesus' name, amen. When Abraham Lincoln was president, he had a young aide on his staff who was an avid churchgoer. A new pastor came to his church, someone who was very charismatic and quite a gifted orator. Uh, People from around the area just turned out in droves, uh, no doubt many of them coming from other churches so that they could hear the newest, latest phenomenon in the community. Every Monday morning, the aide would give the president sort of a recap of the sermon the day before, and he would always include, Mr. President, you must come and hear him some Sunday. Well, finally, one week, probably just to put an end to the badgering, Abraham Lincoln said to the aide, okay, this coming Sunday, I will join you. Well, the pastor preached a very inspiring message. The pews were packed The aide could not wait to get into the presidential carriage and ride back to the White House. They had just gotten underway when he said, well, what did you think? Did you not, were you not amazed? And the president rather nonchalantly said, "Eh, it was fine. The young aide was a little disappointed. He said, "Well, well, surely you were impressed with his eloquence and his insight into the scripture. By this point, the president had a newspaper open. Without looking up, he said, I suppose silence for some time until the aide couldn't take it anymore he said mr president i can't help but feel you're somehow disappointed do you mind my asking why the president lowered the paper took off his glasses looked at the aide and said because he didn't ask me to do anything Historians speculate whether Abraham Lincoln was a Christian. Many say he was more of a theist, a believer in God, not specifically focused on any one religion. Regardless, the president knew his scriptures, and he was very acquainted with the teachings of Jesus, and perhaps felt that the last thing the nation needed was another church packed with interested listeners but more churches with Christians willing to go out and put into practice what they heard. Maybe that is why Jesus probably disappointed and even stunned a crowd of interested listeners who had gathered around him one day when he finished his teaching and asked a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, And don't do what I tell you. We're in a series this Lent on the questions Jesus asked. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels 
and no doubt because Jesus understood like any good teacher or leader that the most valuable lessons in life are not the ones handed to us, the answers just given. It, it comes from understanding the most important lessons are already inside of us. They need to be extracted, and that's what questions do. They, they pull out of us what we already think or know or perhaps need to understand better. What might Jesus want to pull out of you and me with this question? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not do what I, what I tell you. Well, one thing we need to understand about the question, just like we pointed out on Ash Wednesday, this question, like we consider then when Jesus asked, what are you looking for? It's not a question he asked of just anyone. The question today is directed toward religious people. It's toward people who call him Lord, Lord, perhaps. People who would spend time in church, perhaps people like you and me. And he's identifying a gap that can happen in the lives of religious people between their professed beliefs and their practiced behaviors. Kenda Creasy Dean identified this years ago with her research at Princeton University. Churches were just on the beginning cusp of identifying an alarming concern of the disappearance of young people in the churches. So she did a study of youth who had grown up in church, but they didn't stay with church. And her findings were honestly downright shocking. She came to the conclusion in her research that the reason young people don't stay with church is because of what they see in adults. What they see in adults who are plenty religious but with whom there's often a disconnect between the teachings we profess and day-to-day life. She said rather sharply in her book, Almost Christian, what if the blasé religiosity of most American teenagers is not the result of poor communication, but the result of excellent communication, of a watered-down gospel so devoid of God's self-giving love in Jesus Christ, so immune to the sending love of the Holy Spirit that it might not be Christianity at all. Listening alone can lead to losing our faith. So Jesus is not calling us to be religious with this question. That seems very clear but he is calling us to live out something, to live out his way of life. And and what is that way? Again, this question comes at the end of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. You read the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. In Luke, many of these similar teachings are shared by Jesus, but it's not up on a mountain. It's, it's in a flat area, so it's nicknamed the Sermon on the Plain. Let me recap some of the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Give to everyone who asks of you. 
Do to others as you would have them do unto you. Do not judge, forgive. Give to the poor, do justice. Do not defraud anyone, do not hate. Do the things that make for peace. I mean, clearly these challenges, uh, these teachings, this way of living of Jesus is not an easy way. It's It's a challenging way. It's a way that if we took it seriously, can lead to some serious discomfort. Let me give an example from Indiana judicial history. Back in 1977, there was a guy named Harry Palmer who lived in Elkhart, Indiana. He was a Vietnam War veteran. And like many veterans who came back from Vietnam, he was struggling to get life back on track He was struggling to provide for his family, working numerous jobs, could not make ends meet, and he succumbed to stealing. He committed a number of burglaries. At that time, in Indiana, there was a thing called mandatory sentencing, which meant no matter what the circumstances are in the situation, a certain crime demands a certain sentence. In this case, burglary demanded a minimum of 10 up to 20 years in prison, 10 to 20 years. Now, the state legislature of Indiana saw the unfairness of mandatory sentencing and they overruled it. It did not go into effect until 18 days after Palmer's arrest. Now, while he was in prison, he became a Christian. He admitted and confessed his crimes and appeared before Judge William Bontrager for his sentencing. Now, Bontrager was also a Christian. He had grown up Amish and became a member of the Church of the Brethren, both faith traditions highly committed to living the biblical mandate of being peacemakers. Bontrager had become interested in what was called restorative justice. Restorative justice focuses on rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community at large. Now, during this time that Palmer became a Christian, Bontrager also had a very powerful spiritual experience in which he became dedicated to living out the values of Jesus. So he's about to issue sentence on this case, he realizes Palmer has no history of previous offense. He looks at the other circumstances that went into it, and he surmised that mandatory sentencing is what would really be a crime. And so he reduced the sentence to one year of restitution. He would have to go out and work for his victims, doing manual labor for one year, to pay for his crime, and that's exactly what happened. At the end of the year, all of the victims were well pleased. The whole community at large saw a changed man in Harry Palmer. And this is where Paul Harvey would say, and now for the rest of the story. The prosecutor appealed to the Indiana Supreme Court. They stepped in. They said mandatory sentencing was still active at the point of the rest, and they ordered Bontrager to reissue sentence, to send him back for seven years in prison. 
Von Traeger refused to do it. He said mandatory sentences destroy the application of individual justice. Christ cared for the individual, so must we. The Supreme Court of Indiana found Bontrager, the judge, in contempt. They fined him and sentenced him to jail. So he resigned his judgeship. That meant he lost his job, therefore he did not have to go to jail. But as he said about the whole affair, it just wasn't right. I couldn't obey the court and serve my God. They were in conflict. I had to take my stand. When I think about that story, I think about a line from G.K. Chesterton who said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. To put these words and teachings of Jesus into practice, let's be honest, it is downright hard. It is difficult. But Jesus isn't calling us to a comfortable life. He is calling us to a compelling life. And maybe that's why Jesus used the analogy of living out his teachings as being like building a house. That the person who puts the teachings of Jesus into action, who does them, is like the person who built a house but wanted that house to stand strong, wanted it to last, built a great foundation for it so that when the floods came, the house held firm. Unlike, unlike other builders where they skimp on the cost and the sacrifice and the hard work, they don't build the foundation and the floods come and they wash the house away. This would have been a sight often seen in Israel when the spring floods came you would know who had taken the time to build their house well and who didn't. But I got to admit, I don't really like this question. That's why I did it at the beginning of Lent on the first Sunday. I don't like it. I've given my best shot to you on why it needs to be preached, but doesn't mean I got to like it. It feels judgy. It, 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 it feels preachy. I mean, are you feeling like, okay, this is one of those Sundays we've got to suck it up because Rob's going to give it to us. We're not living out the teaching. It's like the finger comes up out of the page and points. I have a friend who says, my first wife pointed her finger at me all the time. And Rob, when you point a finger from the pulpit, I can't hear what you say anymore. None of us like having a finger pointed at us. So I worked hard on this. I read numerous articles, dozens and dozens of sermons on this passage. And everybody points a finger. Preachers new and old say, oh, it's a trouble with the church today. Christians don't live out their faith. 
They want comfortable Christianity. They don't get out there in the world. That's the reason the world's going to hell in a handbasket over and over. But I did find one sermon helpful. It's by Wallace Hamilton. He was a Methodist preacher in Florida back in the middle part of the 20th century. He gave this idea that put a whole new spin on this question from Jesus. He said, I'm really glad that Jesus refers to the two builders as wise and foolish. He didn't call them good and bad. He said, that's what we tend to do in religion. In religion, we tend to point fingers. We categorize people as good or bad, right, wrong, righteous, unrighteous. But but, but Jesus doesn't do that with this parable. He said it's about being wise and foolish. He said it's not just about judging sin. It's about judging sensibility. Doing the things that make life work. Things that you go, that just makes sense. You read Jesus' sermon. He says things like, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. You got to point your finger when you say that, you know. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't misuse God's name. Don't, Don't go out cursing. Well, that's a helpful thing for our society. We hear way too much of garbage language everywhere we go but that's that's not the only point Jesus is making if you read it he goes on to say just let your yes be yes and your no be no just be an honest person just be straightforward it it, it makes sense it builds a better life yes Jesus has strong words to say about adultery But it's not just about illicit sexual behavior, though that's valid. He's saying be aware of broken relationships. Be aware of what happens in the foundation of the soul when we betray. I mean, it it doesn't lead us to good places. Jesus says, don't just bless the people who can bless you back. Bless those who can't return the favor. Just just do good to others, period. Especially those nobody else might not be doing anything good for. Be, Be mindful of them. Look for them. Look for a way to bless them. It makes your life better. It makes our world better. It's sensible. That that changed my thinking. It changed my whole thinking about this passage. It made me consider that. That when Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? He's not pointing a finger at us. What he's doing is saying, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Anybody ever been to London and ridden on the underground, the subway system? You know that whenever the train pulls up at the station, the mechanical voice says in a British accent, mind the gap. It means the the, the the train exit when the doors open there's a little gap between the platform you tend to walk out looking up but if you're not careful it's easy to trip and you'll fall down especially at crowded times that could be an ugly scene mind the gap Jesus is reminding us we all have gaps every one of us 
No one lives out the words of Jesus perfectly, do you? I don't. I struggle with it. I need to be reminded. Rob, mind the gap. Ah. It reminds me that I don't need a religion that just tells me all the time, Rob, you're okay. You're just fine the way you are. You don't need to make any changes about you. You just need to learn to love yourself better. Well, that's not a bad message. But if that's all I ever hear, my gaps are going to do this. I need my religion to tell me something I don't already think. I need my religion to say, when it comes to living out Jesus in our world today, it might mean that the way you think about some issues is not the way Jesus would think. Mind the gaps. So before we go, let me offer a few things that at least in my life are helpful thoughts about why I might be willing to call Jesus Lord, Lord, but not do what he says. If you're in a small group, this will be helpful for you to think about. What could be any cause for why? Any reason for the gaps? One might be this, comfort. Comfort might be a reason for a struggle between professed beliefs and actual behaviors. We might come here to church because we simply want to be comforted. We simply want to hear a message of solace that relieves pain and difficulty, and there is nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you ever get, you might miss the call to action on doing justice and the things that make for peace in the world. Sometimes, sometimes when it comes to this issue of comfort, the reason that people struggle to live out the teachings of Jesus is because of how much turmoil we've already got going in our lives. We're living with so much turmoil every day. About all we have room for in our soul is a message of comfort, but understand there is comfort we need that doesn't come from just soothing words. There's a comfort that comes from doing what we believe down in our soul is the right thing to do. And it's the doing of these things that brings a comfort. <laughs> Maybe another reason for a gap is time. Just sheer time. We are all so blame busy. I mean, <laughs> I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you would say, Rob, I'm doing well to come here to worship once a week or once a month or whatever it happens to be. That's about all I got time for. But if that's the case at all, just look ahead and ask, where's life going? What do you want? Are you looking for meaning? Are you looking for purpose? Are you looking for joy and satisfaction and security from the storms of life? Then just ask yourself, is everything that is occupying your life going to take you there? And if not, it's just a good time to evaluate what really is going to take me to where I want to be in life. Maybe it's time 
Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're really clear on what living the teachings of Jesus would mean, but you think, oh my gosh, if I do that, what would it cost me? Would it, would it cost friendships? Would it cost something else? Just know that that issue of cost cuts both ways. What's the cost of not doing? Judge William Bontrager, after he left the bench as a judge, decided to devote his life to working toward restorative justice and reconciliation. He moved to Minneapolis, went to work for the Mennonite church doing restorative justice work. He eventually came back to Indiana, and guess what he spent his time doing? Helping churches in mediation when they're going through conflict. He probably felt it was an easier job when he was sitting on the bench being a judge. Imagine how many United Methodist congregations alone could give him plenty of business for the rest of his time. But he loves what he does with his life. You know, sometimes we can be so afraid of what doing something is going to, to give up in our lives, we won't be able to embrace what we can gain until we let go. Maybe... Maybe another reason is just simply inattention. We just haven't given that kind of attention to our faith before. Faith is important to us, but not necessarily more so than anything else, than, than work or recreation or other boards and agencies we're a part of. And maybe it's just a time to ask, you know, how important is my faith to me? And if it is, what does it look like? if I really live this, this way of life. Maybe it's something else altogether. Maybe none of these are it for you, but you would think about it and say, oh, no, I know there's something else that can cause gaps in my life. We started Ash Wednesday thinking about Jesus' question, what are you looking for? That's, that's the question behind all of our questions this Lent. Many times people say, I'm, I'm looking for greater peace. I'm looking for greater happiness. I'm looking for greater joy. Well, one of the ways we might discover what we're looking for is when we examine if there is any gap in what we believe and in what we do. Because when we focus on saying yes to Christ, the answer will change regularly. From season to season in life, the answer will change. At any given moment, being faithful to Christ means this. And in another time, it means this. But when we say yes, we learn the power of, of obedience to bring us the joy that we're looking for. Two Sundays ago, we celebrated the life of one of our members, Steve Claffey. We sang in the choir, active in our music ministry, active in so many ways in the church. For much of Steve's life, he would say yes to serving Christ in different capacities. Well, some years ago, his wife Linda 
helped with another group in the church under the direction from Reverend uh, Jamelin Williamson here at the church to start the food pantry. Steve was still working as a lawyer, very busy, but he was a cheerleader for the food pantry from the sidelines. Then he retired, and he started playing a lot more golf. I remember playing golf with Steve after he'd been retired about six months, and I just thought, I can't play with him anymore. I mean, it's just embarrassing. He's gotten, he's gotten way too good. And I remember playing golf with him with two distinct thoughts that day. One was, he is really a good golfer now. And number two, that it's not all that satisfying. I mean, he was enjoying the time out there, but I couldn't, I couldn't say that I just felt like he was an over-the-top golf enthusiast who wanted to spend the rest of his days playing golf. And then he accepted a yes to be on the food pantry board. And when the position opened up, he said yes to be the director. And people who know Steve Claffey know that there was a job, there was no job he was unwilling to do at the food pantry. He would do any job, whatever it took. Worked perhaps as hard at the food pantry as he did as a lawyer, except he got his clothes a lot dirtier. He knew the clients. He would get to know their families and their situations. He would know some of the backstories when they came to receive food. And Linda Claffey, his wife, said, I never saw Steve smile as big as he did as when he was serving at the food pantry. Was it easy? Was it simple? I'm sure Steve would laugh and say, are you kidding? But he loved every minute of it. Steve is not with us now. That means there's a vacancy open. There's always a vacancy open somewhere in advancing the cause of Christ. What's your answer? When it comes to saying yes to Jesus, and doing what he says. Let what you do be the amen to this sermon.